This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson. And we've just had Boris Johnson's evidence session before the Privileges Committee. There were a few things to note in what was quite a lengthy session around four hours. A few breaks for going for votes. But I think just to run through a few highlights before we discuss them, Fraser, we had Boris Johnson explaining that it was essential there are drinks in the form of a leaving do at, at one point in, in order to make sure relations weren't acrimonious. Of the, and people ask, you know, why was this happening? Why was it necessary? It was necessary because two senior members of staff, uh, the uh, effective chief of staff and the director of communications, had both uh, left the building or were about to leave the building in pretty acrimonious circumstances or what were potentially acrimonious circumstances. It was important for me to be there and to give reassurance. And the the salient point I would uh, venture to make is that Following that gathering, no fine was issued to me. My presence there was felt by the uh, by the Met to be uh, not to be unlawful. Uh, they agreed that it was a work-related event, and I, I believe it was absolutely essential for work purposes. He, he declined to repeat some of the claims in the press by supporters of him that the Privileges Committee amounts to a kangaroo court. Have you characterised us as as a kangaroo court? You, you can tell by my presence this afternoon, by the uh, seriousness with which I've taken uh, your questions, uh, by my attempts to answer in detail uh, what you, the points you've, you've put to me, how seriously I take you and your committee, uh, the respect I have for this institution of Parliament, and for better or worse, whatever the, 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 the issues of fairness that I, I may have raised in my submission, this is the body that decides on uh, standards and privileges. This is the committee that does it. There's no other way of doing it. That's why I have come here, out of respect for the committee, out of respect for Parliament, and because I do not believe that you can conceivably find me guilty of wittingly misleading Parliament on the basis of the evidence that you have assembled. And he said with hindsight, he realised that that infamous bring-your-own-booze party in the garden would not have looked so good if someone had looked over the wall at the time. I, I think, I, I can't say, I think he was concerned about the impression that uh, people might gain if they looked over uh, the garden wall, if they were coming from the, uh, the, the media uh, room and, and thought that we were doing something that uh, other people weren't allowed to do. And I, I, in my opening um, remarks, I made clear that I, I can see why people might have felt that way. But I, as I told the House uh, when I came to report on that event, uh, I, I still believe it was within the guidance and within the rules. Fraser, you've been watching the sessions. Were you impressed by either side, Boris Johnson or the committee? It was quite a depressing spectacle in every angle, actually. You had Harriet Harman, the chairman, very much getting into her dramatic role as the, the judge here, setting her up. There was a great lengthy prelude talking about the importance of truth in Parliament, etc. And then very, very quickly gets down in the weeds. Um, What did you know and why? Who did you say? And it's quite easy just to to lose track of this. 
And, of course, it's strange to see so much attention here. You've got all the parliaments watching this. The, the televisions have cleared three or four hours for it, all on whether Boris Johnson knowingly misled the House. He's admitted that he misled the House. He's lost his job as a result of it. He had to quit in disgrace. So there's no the punishment has come. He's now game over for him as a politician. And yet, this is now becoming the, one, of, one of the most dramatic political moments of the year so far. What's he, and was not, we didn't even learn anything new. I think Boris Johnson himself pointed out that in 10 months, the committee hadn't managed to find a shred of evidence to contradict his claim that when he said that all rules were being observed, he didn't know anything to the contrary. And if you know Boris, you know that's probably quite likely because he operates in this sort of buffer zone of vagueness where he always wants plausible deniability. He's done this throughout his life in politics and even before that. He, like, he likes to not get into trouble by pretending he didn't really know what was going on in the first place. So it's completely plausible that this sort of this cloud of confusion was strategically assembled around him through most of his time in number 10 with pretty bad consequences for the country, but it does help him claim no knowledge now. Now, as you say, in a way, there weren't really bombshell revelations in that session because, in part, so much was covered during the time. I think at one point, it, uh, one of Boris Johnson's defences was, well, everyone keeps talking about the birthday party, which is what he was fined for, but that originally was uncovered not by the Mirror or ITV as part of Partygate, but was an introduction to a Saturday Times read uh, when it was used as a little bit of colour about what was going on in the pandemic response uh, as evidence in Boris Johnson's mind that, well, clearly people didn't think they were doing too much wrong because because it was briefed a soft color but we did have evidence put forward before the session started and yesterday Boris Johnson's evidence and his defense and then this morning I think some a few trickier things so you have Simon Case the top civil servant beleaguered top civil servant perhaps is a better way to put it ultimately saying that he he didn't uh tell Boris Johnson all guidance had been followed. You have Jack Doyle, his former director of communications, raising similar concerns. And then you have Martin Reynolds, who at the time, uh, I think he's had the nickname Party Marty over the Bring Your Own Booze Party, saying that when it came to what Boris Johnson said in the House, which is ultimately what this all comes to, the statements Boris Johnson made in the House of Commons, where he said all the rules and guidance had been followed, that he had advised Boris Johnson not to say that, and he had done so regardless. So that's probably the you know the trickier claims, which is if Boris Johnson wants to talk about all the you know the fact that no one told him specifically. Listen, he was following the advice of his close team. There are members of his close team who seem to dispute or at least question this idea that he was being told everything was okay all the time. Um, but did you get a sense of a smoking gun today? Not proving his guilt. No, there was lots to cast out in his version of events. But when you look at what the test the committee has to come up with here, can they be confident? So confident that they would risk. Um, suspending him from Parliament and perhaps kicking him out as an MP, can really be that confident that he lied when he said he didn't know? Certainly, for all the things that you mentioned, you can very much doubt uh, that Boris was really confident to say there wasn't one. But again, you come back to the vagueness. Um, again, his strategic vagueness. So I think it's going to be quite difficult for a majority in that committee to rule that they are clear that Boris Johnson knowingly misled the House. I simply, there's no evidence to point to. All you've got is your gut feeling. Now, what, there's so many things that annoy me about this. Uh, and the most annoying thing is I just think the whole thing 
is so trivial compared to the things which we should be discussing. And we, we got a cover story in Expectator tomorrow, for example, that there are 140,000 pupils now effectively absent from school after lockdown. Where's the debate about that? And people seem very uninterested in far, that's a really important issue. Now, we all know that Boris Johnson misled the House of Commons. We all know that his officials who were making these rules were breaking them themselves. So, in, in a way, it seems to be a huge amount of attention over something which is, first of all, relatively trivial, and secondly, um, probably is not going to lead anywhere anyway because there's no evidence suggesting that, that he knowingly misled the House. But then again, when I was looking at it, now and again, because it got so ridiculous, you were almost tempted to feel sorry for him. But then you have to remember all of the people who were basically arrested and fined due to his ridiculous rules in the first place. The pensioners who were um, fined £200 for eating a bag of chips and a laundrette. The um, women who had police coming after them for having a cup of coffee when they went for a walk together. Tens of thousands of offences during these ridiculous rules and people were not able to say to the police, as Boris Johnson is saying now, ah, oh, there's a get-out clause because of this, that and the other. What we saw throughout this was perhaps what I regard as the biggest outrage about lockdown. For those of a no, there was always a get-out clause. There was always, oh, this is a work function. For example, take you was saying about believing do. It was absolutely essential, he's saying, that I gathered my staff to salute um, somebody who was leaving. It's in the customs of these islands that we raise a glass and toast somebody who's leaving the party. It was necessary from, as a leader to raise morale amongst the, the staff. All of these things were true, but he made it illegal for anybody else to do that. So him claiming that it was essential that he was to have a leaving do to raise morale... It's not that I disagree with him. I think those things are essential. That anybody else who had done that would have had the police come after him thanks to his rules. And when you remember that, you do tend to think to yourself, well, in this case, he does deserve everything he's getting. And I think it was another reminder of some of the evidence Boris Johnson gave. Um, so when he was talking about the bring your own booze party, saying at the time, you have to understand, it just did not cross my mind. Um, I just thought this was a work event. And lots of people laugh and say, you know, that's, ridiculous there were trestle tables so lots of people at sands you know like one of the merriest things probably anyone was doing in the in the country on that mm. day um but then you look at it from a different perspective and i don't mean this to make excuses for boris johnson particularly but if you were working in number 10 you had such a different experience than the rest of the country when it comes to lockdown well for a start lots they were all people, in the office yeah right? exactly lots of people never really spent a day at home and mm. um, they were seeing their colleagues you know I, i've spoken to people who were working in number 10 who felt in a way they had this separate bubble it was almost a number 10 bubble where you know it was different rules because they were seeing each other so frequently so many of them had had covid themselves they felt as though they had immunity but of course every time you hear this you just go back to the point well but you you didn't make it so if someone had COVID they could go out and do things so so why would that uh, you know it was different rules so so I think that would potentially even if you don't agree with the logic um, work in Boris Johnson's favour for the fact people did just see things quite differently but I think it's also the case when you're looking at this privilege committee which clearly was you know box office today it's going to be in the papers all of tomorrow but it does feel I mean this committee was first raised when Boris Johnson was Prime Minister. So if this was taking place when Boris Johnson was still in number 10, I think it'd be much more high stakes, obviously. Instead, I think lots of, and you can see, I think, in Tory activist polling, you know, there is a sense some people think Boris Johnson has had punishment enough. Now, the committee, lots of MPs will say, 
it's not about punishment, it's about truth, it's about what ministers are expected to do. Um, but I think the circumstances that this has now come to be in as a result of, you know, the fact he was pushed out, Liz Truss, now Rishi Sunak, means that it just doesn't it feels it just doesn't feel as though it has the same weight as it would have done otherwise. And you do but begin to wonder what happens if the committee finds against Boris Johnson and recommends a long suspension because of course if they recommend a suspension of 10 days or more 10 sitting days then he's vulnerable to a recall petition there could be a by-election do you think there'd be um anger at that point towards Boris Johnson or sympathy do you think he'd lose the seat Oh, there, I think he would lose his seat, yes. I mean, uh, I had um, one figure say to me they thought they could make it all about, you know, these low emission zones in London and actually perhaps have a surprise win. So so if we do end up with the 10-day suspension and then uh, going into a by-election after a recall petition, do you think Boris Johnson is going to lose his seat? Oh, there's no doubt about it. If he gets suspended for, for 10 days, there will be recall petition and Labour will fight it like a general election. Now, as you write in your political column, Katie, the embarrassing thing is that Rishi Sunak would really have to go out there and campaign for Boris Johnson to stay. And it would be a humiliation for the Conservatives. So it's part of Labour's strategy right now to hang lockdown parties around Rishi Sunak's neck. This is why it's so strategically important for Harriet Harman and everyone else in the Labour Party to make as much as they can about saying, you know, that's not ancient history. This is the Conservative Party. The ones standing for election next year are going to be the ones who locked you all down and had lots of parties themselves. So they want to do everything they can to make Boris Johnson not ancient history, but a current Tory saga. That's why it all depends on the four um, Tories in that committee, only seven members of them. So four Tories can effectively uh, veto if they were to vote together. Now, there's lots of guessing as to where they, they are. We know that many of them are not great fans of, of Boris Johnson. But then again, would they really want to, uh, knowing as they do, that if they give him a 10-day suspension, then they will be humiliating a defeat for the party that's likely to follow pretty quickly. I actually did wonder if there would be some smoking gun, if his evidence would come out with something that would prove what they need to prove, that he knew, he absolutely knew, that um, there were parties when he said there weren't. Absent any such evidence, you would need pretty strong animus towards Boris Johnson to say that in all probability he was actively telling a lie. And you would also need for those four Conservatives, because let's not pretend they're all neutral here. I mean, they know... They're, they're all, um, I forget if all four of them are fighting their seats again at the next election, but if they are, it's not within their interests for the Tory party to um, go through the debacle of losing a former Prime Minister and having Labour triumphant in Boris Johnson's old seat. So I, I've, I'm now reasonably sure that the committee will not find for to give him a 10-day suspension. They might give him a seven-day, or, or they might not even give him anything at all. But if there are seven MPs, four of them are Tories, and they lack that smoking gun evidence, as we've seen today, the process can be very damaging for him, the process can be very um, embarrassing for the Conservatives, but I think they will stop short of inflicting on themselves the blow of losing a former Prime Minister. Yeah, I, I think if you did get to that by-election 
point. Um, so if these MPs did decide to, to go for to go for a ten day suspension or more, to me that is potentially lose lose to Rishi Sunak either way. Because say Boris Johnson somehow pulls it out of the bag and wins that by election, you can just imagine how that's gonna galvanise his supporters who will say, We told you was he was an election winner, look at all the you know runs of um, you know, by election defeats and now look look what Boris Johnson has done. And then if he loses it, uh, Rishi Sunak will probably be accused of not putting enough funds into defending the seat and Boris Johnson could be pitched as a Brexit martyr someone the establishment pushed out because they didn't like him so you can sense that in number 10 at least I think um, avoiding that would be preferable not that they have a direct say in it and the other news just finally today Fraser um, relates to uh, Rishi Sunak's Brexit deal and actually his tax return let's try and rattle through both very quickly Um, so, so I suppose actually before we get to the Brexit deal Rishi Sunak obviously said he's a politician of integrity, um, but he also still has learned some of the key tricks of the trade, which is get out potentially bad news when there's a lot going on. So there is, we found out today that around 4pm, Rishi Sunak would be releasing his tax return, something he's promised to do, but it's taken quite a long time to do. Um, obviously right in the middle of Boris Johnson's evidence. Um, did anything strike you about it? I didn't expect... Well, obviously, we know that if an MP earns money, he has to declare it. So a tax return shouldn't tell you if an MP is earning lots of money on the side. That, that should be impossible under our system. But what I didn't work out was that Rishi Sunak was so incredibly wealthy in his own right that him simply buying and selling shares every year would give him, in this case, a profit of £1.6 million. That's simply him keeping his portfolio from, from day to day. For two years running, he made um, capital gains of that amount. Of course, he paid full tax on it. But we all know that his, his wife is richer than, than the king. Um, and that's sort of famous. And the impression is that, that Rashid married into this insanely wealthy family. But no, no, set her aside. Rishi Sunak would be the richest man in his own right ever to sit, I think, in 10 Downing Street uh, because of the incredible amount of money he must have earned before he came into Parliament in 2010. And just as the final item, uh, we have a situation where the Windsor framework was finally voted on. Uh, It was a rebellion. Just over 20 Tory MPs voted against it. I think around 48 Tory MPs abstained. Now, depending who you speak to, this was a huge success for Rishi Sunak. And to be fair to Rishi Sunak, there were warnings, I think, in February saying up to 100 Tory MPs could actively vote against any deal on the protocol. Um, But the European Research Group have done their own analysis. And they said, well, if you count the abstentions as no votes, then uh, the Tory working majority would go if every opposition MP voted against it. Though I think on the numbers today, the Tories would still have been fine. Um, Do you think that's a decent result for Rishi Sunak? I think he'd be quite pleased, yes. I mean, he, he, the rebels were not the usual crowd. You had three former party leaders, Boris Johnson, Liz Trust, Ian Duncan Smith. So a pretty Patel. There was all, an all-star cast. Jake Barry. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, people we know uh, loathe Rishi Sunak. So uh, looking at that, you're trying to work out, is there a new awkward squad here? But I can't quite... To me, it looked like lots of sort of retired grandees. I mean, IDS, for example, almost certainly won't be in Parliament at the next election. Um, so so uh, other than Jake Berry, I couldn't see much of a, of a growing kind of Andy Sunak squad there. I think he'd be quite pleased that it was only 20. This was a very controversial piece of, of legislation. Even the DUP um, voted against it. 
And if, if the DUP voted against it, once upon a time, you'd have thought, well, in that case, a whole bunch of Tory um, Brexiteers are going to vote against it out of solidarity with the DUP. That didn't really happen, and you had Boris Johnson and, and 19 others. Um, so all told, I think this is looking to be quite a good week for Rishi Sunak. Not only is he incredibly wealthy, but his political position in the party is quite secure. Because if you did want to get rid of him, you would vote against him now. To destabilise him on a signature deal would be a major way of weakening him. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you for listening. 